You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Thanks for listening to the uh, Burley Church of Christ podcast. And and just before the podcast starts, we'd just like to invite you to, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast or you enjoy the ministry of Burley Heads Church of Christ, we'd love you to consider participating in our Miracle Month over the month of September. It's a month where we look at trying to extend the table, as we say, through radical generosity. And so if you'd like to give towards our Miracle Month appeal, uh, the various projects and the appeal can be found on bcc.org.au. And a way to give online can be found there. Enjoy the podcast this morning and, and hope you're having a great day. Thank you. Um, thank you, Jewel, for the reading. Um, if, um, if you don't know me, my name is, my name is Simel. Um, you're going to find a, a funny accent throughout, this, um, throughout my talk. But that's because I'm Portuguese. I've been in Australia for, uh, for about eight years now. I'm married to, to Kirsten. Uh, we've been part of this church for about two and a half years now, and we've been, uh, been really enjoying uh, getting to know the people that were initially here and, and the new people that have been coming in and being part of this, um, being part of this community. Um, it's a pleasure for me this morning to, um, to bring you um, some ideas about this text. Um, so why don't we pray before, um, before I speak and ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that you're already here, God. Um, we thank you that it's not by our strength, by, our, um, by anything that we can bring, God, but it's because you, you desire to be with your people. And by your spirit, you are with us. And so, God, we pray that um, throughout, this, uh, throughout this message, God, that the words that I say uh, will come directly from you. Um, and whatever I say that it's not from you, God, that you... Um, that you help us to, to ignore them. And God, I pray, that, um, I pray that we'll be so assured of you, God, and, and of your promises um, that we'll leave here um, very encouraged. We pray all of this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with, um, with, asking us, with asking a question, a challenging question. And I, my question is, what are the things in life that we are absolutely sure of? What are the things in life that we are absolutely sure of? For example, do I trust that if I stand here, I'm not going to fall? Or do I trust that if I speak on this mic that you're going to hear me, that you'll project my voice? Um, Do we trust our families? Do we trust our friends? Um, Do we even 100% trust, trust ourselves? I think in reality, we can never be sure of something 100%. I cannot be sure that I'm going to stand because I might fall. Hopefully not. Um, I'm not sure that this mic is going to work all the time because the batteries might run off. And unfortunately, we can not trust our f- friends and family 100% because they, they might betray us. And how often do we, do we disappoint ourselves? So in fact, there's actually not that many things in life that we can absolutely 100% trust. But let me give you a hint. There are certain things that we can trust that are 100% certain. So, so this passage comes in a context of, of, of the chapter 6 of Hebrews. And, and so let's just quickly rewind and, and try to understand what the, uh, what the author of the book is trying to say here. 
So basically, what what is he starts this chapter by by telling his readers, this this Christian, um, these new Christians that came from Judaism, he's trying to tell them that they they need to move past kind of elementary teachings. They they need to move past basic teachings of Christ, and they need to move forward. They need to move forward to maturity. Um, he already starting this argument in um, in chapter five, uh, and he uses this analogy of of being in, if, of consuming milk or solid food, right? He says that um, when you first become a Christian, you are what you call a baby a baby in Christ, and because you are a baby in Christ, then you are fed milk, right? It's things that you can understand, it's things that your mind can understand, which makes total sense. But the author is saying that after a certain point, you have to move past being a a, a baby in Christ being an infant move past to adulthood, move past to maturity. We all of us, we grow up from a baby to maturity. So, so in, your, in, your, in your Christian faith, you have to do the same. You have to move past infant, being an infant to, to maturity. And, and then he, so he starts this, this chapter and then, and then he arrives at these verses, these staggering verses in Hebrews um, 6, 4 to 6 that, that, that Lee touched uh, last week, and his, and, and his argument is something like, if you stay in milk, if you, for a long, long time, you become a Christian, you stay in milk, there's probably a higher risk of not developing strong roots in Christ. And then he goes on to these verses and, and, and says, uh, it's impossible for those that once were enlightened um, to bring back to repentance if they fall away. Basically, he's saying that um, if you keep being a baby in Christ for a long time, if your roots are not supported in Jesus, maybe in times of trouble and persecution, you might fall away. And obviously in the context of this passage, we, um, as, as we've been talking, the, this, this Jewish, uh, these Jewish believers were being persecuted because of their faith. The Jewish people were trying to bring them back or trying to convince them that, that the new faith in the Messiah was, was wrong. So, so the author is trying to say, you have to go to maturity. You have to keep going. You have to persevere. And now this, this idea is not just, um, just a new idea that the author of Hebrews um, talks about. Jesus already talked about this in the parable of, of the sower. So in the parable of the, of the sower, if I'm not going to have time to go into depth, but, um, but as Jesus says, someone comes and plants and scatters seeds on the ground and seeds fall on different parts of the ground. And some seeds, for example, can fall on rocky ground. Um, and rocky ground, they receive the word of God um, and they rejoice for a short time. But because it's a rocky ground, um, it has very little soil and very little space for roots to grow. So the parable says that when the sun that comes up, these plants are scorched and they wither away because they have no roots. And Jesus, he said, Jesus then says, and, and so is this with, with some people that in times of persecution or, or trouble, they, they fall away. They don't finish the race. And obviously this is for a context of these Jewish readers because they were being persecuted uh, because of their faith. And fortunately, us in Australia, we're not being uh, physically persecuted. Most of the time, we're not being physically persecuted because of our faith. However, we have many troubles around us, don't we? We are immersed in a culture um, and we hear about, about science um, and, and we hear that all of these things are anti-God, that they... They reject God. Um, people look around, people look around the earth and the globe, and, and think, how can 
how can a loving God allow such evil? Um, there's so many inexplicable natural disasters and sickness and death. Uh, some people claim that Christianity is, is, um, um, promotes hate for people, for different people, for people of different sexual uh, orientations or people of different religions. That uh, Some people claim that Christianity is very restrictive and stop people from following kind of natural sexual instincts. Um, or that in light of great scientific discoveries and in light of advances in technology, God is no longer necessary. This idea of that God designed the universe is, is ridiculous and outdated. So actually being a Christian nowadays is, is not popular, is it? It's very countercultural. And sometimes the temptation for some people to leave Christianity can feel very, can feel very real, unfortunately. We've even heard on the news recently of, um, of, of called Christian celebrities that, um, that have either abandoned the faith or are very close to it. Um, even the, the statistics of, of young adults, of, of people that um, grew up in church, but then they, they reach um, later teenage years, they go to university and then they leave the faith. Um, the statistics are alarming. There's so many of them. Um, some come back in their late 20s and 30s, but still... This should, uh, this should be a worry. Or maybe you yourself, maybe you feeling like you're walking a very thin line um, and that your faith is only hanging by a thread. Maybe you, you feel like your life has been like being in a boat and being tossed around by many winds, storms and waves. So can we guarantee, can I guarantee, can you guarantee that we won't be the ones mentioned in Hebrews 6 that in times of trouble or persecution, fall away. Now, I don't mean to scare you, because there's many times in the Bible where um, God himself or the things that God created are designed to help us, are designed to encourage us. For example, being part of a good Christian community, um, being part of a godly family or a godly group of friends, or even a word of encouragement from someone can be very uplifting. And all these things are good and created by God. But interesting, they're not the ones mentioned in this chapter. So all these, after all these sterning warnings, what does the author choose to say to these people to encourage them to move on? So let's just read again verses 13 to 18. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I'll, I'll bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained a promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. In all, in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So what are the things that the author chooses to tell people to, to encourage them to keep going? These things are God's, God's promises. And from this passage, we know, from reading the Bible, we know that God's promises are certain. But throughout the Bible, God promises many things. Uh, there's many promises to his people, many, many promises to us. But the promises here that the author is referring to is that, that those who endure till the end 
will 100% absolutely spend eternity with God in heaven. And to make this promise even stronger, uh, the author is saying that God swore an oath, added an oath to the promise. For example, people that go to a court of law, they used to have to put their hand on the Bible and swear that they were telling the truth, only the truth and nothing but the truth. And they used the Bible because the Bible was considered more important than them. So they would swear on, on the Bible. But God doesn't have anything greater than, than himself. So when God wanted to swear, he swore on himself. Because there's no greater than him. So we have two things that cannot change. We be contrary to the nature of God and to his will. And God would consider himself a liar if these promises didn't come true. And God uses these promises to, to remove from our heads and from our hearts all doubts and fears and to make us so, so secure in him. The author, he uses the example of Abraham to, to illustrate this. Now, obviously, these, these Jewish readers were very familiar with the story of, of Abraham and how God initially called Abraham uh, and promised him very, many descendants um, at a time where Abraham was already close to his 80s or 90s and him and his wife didn't have any kids. But Abraham heard the promises of God and he waited with faith. And only after 27 years, he had his first, first son with his wife. But then God asked him something completely inexplicable. Then God asked him to sacrifice his son which pretty much means he's not going to have any more descendants. But Abraham kept trusting God to the point where even by faith he believed that God would bring his son from the dead. So God again promised him, I will give you many descendants and your descendants will be a blessing to the world. We know that these promises were fulfilled because Jesus himself was a descendant of, of Abraham. And although Abraham actually never physically saw Jesus, the Bible says in John 8.56, Jesus is saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. So God fulfilled his promises to Abraham and he waited with faith and patience. When I was young, um, I went on holidays with my parents and my siblings and we camped near this this place, it's the biggest, um, the biggest sand dune in the world, in France. And so me and my siblings were, were camping on this right side near the, near the, the trees. Um, and we were camping up and down. And sorry, we were camping on, near the trees and we were climbing the sand dune. We were just playing on the sand dune. And my sister had a, had a, little, a little plastic ring, ring on her finger. Um, and then she lost it. For some reason, just fell off her finger and, and she lost it in the sand. And I told my dad, and my dad, um, I told my dad, oh, I'm going to try to find it, which is ridiculous. And my dad said, okay, if you find this ring, I'll give you $1,000. And I was like, I was probably like 12 or something. I was like, $1,000. He's like, yep, I'll give you $1,000 if you find this ring. I was like, all right, I can do it. I can do it. So anyway, so that, I, tried, I tried to find a ring. I, I went up and down that June. Uh, and actually, one time I think I saw it but it was probably, probably not it. So I never found the ring, um, and I never, got, I never got the money. I put on the picture, maybe that my sister's ring was some, on that area. 
But fortunately, God is not like this, is he? He doesn't ask us to do some, some impossible task like finding a small ring in the middle of this ginormous sand dune. God is asking us to stay the course, to finish the race, to keep fighting the good fight of faith. But God is not just telling us to do so. God is the one that started us on the race, the one who's sustaining us, and the one who's going to help us to finish. In Romans 8.30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is more like another dad that told his kid to go mow the lawn. The kid didn't want it to. But he told him, okay, if you do this, at the end I'm going to buy you an ice cream. But the difference with his dad is that the dad does not ask him something and promise something. No, this dad went to the shed to get the lawnmower. He got it started. And then he walked alongside the kid as he mowed the lawn. It's a very hot day and this is hard work and the kid is getting sweaty and very tired. But he's imagining in his head, I'm going to get that ice cream at the end. And he keeps going because he knows it's going to taste so good. And he trusts that the, the dad is not going to lie to him, that, that the dad is going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to give him that ice cream. So let's read the final two verses. Verses 19 and 20. We have this, these promises. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. These verses are incredible, and the, the images are incredible and so powerful. The promises of God are a sure <coughs> and a steadfast or firm anchor for the soul. Can someone bring me some water, please? My voice is dying. Thanks, Josh. <clears throat> So when I, um, <clears throat> when I think about my soul, when we think about what, what, what is it about our souls? What is, it, what is it the soul? And often I think that my soul is this, thank you. I think that my soul is this kind of immortal part of me, isn't it? That this spiritual aspect of myself that I don't fully understand. I don't fully comprehend. But the Bible many times tells us that we need to protect our souls. It says, for example, in Matthew uh, 16, 26, for what it, what it will profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What shall a, a man give in return for his soul? The answer to those questions should be very obvious, right? We would profit nothing, nothing, if we gain the whole world. If we gain all the riches, all the power, all the fame, and all the glory in the world, but at the end, we would lose our souls. Or how much should we give in return for our souls? Everything. I would give everything in return for my soul. To know that my soul is, is safe and, and secure, I would give everything. So when God says that his promises are a sure and a safe anchor for the soul, 
I just rejoice. I rejoice and I thank him because my soul is safe. The eternal destiny of my soul is safe. I trust that God is not a liar. That what God started in my soul, he's going to finish it. But these verses even tell us more. It tells us that the hope that we have enters. Enters this inner place behind the curtain. And what is this inner place behind the curtain? This is referring to the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Jerusalem. And again, although for a Jewish, for a Jewish reader this would make a lot of sense, they, they, they were familiar with the Temple. <clears throat> but let me try to paint a picture of, of what, where the author is coming from. So the location of the Temple in Jerusalem were actually on the top of Mount Moriah, the same place where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. The Holy of Holies was the most sacred place for a Jewish person. It was separated from, 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 from the rest of the temple by a thick curtain. And this place was in complete darkness. It was the place where God's glory would be pre present among his people. But only the high priest, only one person out of the whole Jewish people could have access to this place in the Day of Atonement. The high, the high priest would come into this place and would sprinkle the blood of sacrificed animals as atonement for the sins of people. But these verses say that our place, our hope, sorry, enters that place. And that place is also a representation of heaven. And the verse says that we only have access to this place because Jesus has gone ahead of us as a forerunner. It's actually the only time in the Bible that this word is used, forerunner. The Bible says that Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf into that place. We know that when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple, so the curtain that separated this holy of holies to the rest of the temple, this curtain was ripped apart. So literally Jesus opened that place. And so us united with him can have access to this place, can have access to God's, to God's glory. And now we, we can experience a part of God's glory as we're united with the Holy Spirit, but we know that in heaven we'll experience God in a, in a very different way. To be honest with you, the book, the book of Hebrews used to scare me a lot. I don't know if I grew up with this idea of God being a stern judge, more of a stern judge than a loving father. So when I used to read this called warning passage of Hebrews, I thought they were talking about myself. I thought they were talking about me. I would look at my life even as a so-called Christian and I would, be, I would feel so, as, so disappointed and I would feel as a failure because I've so often disappointed God. Certainly God wouldn't forgive me after doing this or that. And I've been through darker times because I didn't believe that God had the power to love and to forgive. But God used these times to show me that, um, that he has so much mercy. And he has so much love. Isn't it a relief that Hebrews 6 doesn't finish on the warning stuff, but he moves on and fi finishes on the promises. If I'm standing in faith right now, it's because God, God has sustained me, and my hope is that God promised that he'll carry me through. So in a sense, I choose, instead of choosing to believe something else, I choose to believe in him and preach that to myself. So my challenge for you today is 
my challenge for you is if you feel there's a distance between you and God, if you feel like somehow you've disappointed Him, even for a long time, if you feel weak in your faith, or if you feel like your sin is, is too much for God to forgive, I just want you to remember, and the author wants you to remember, that God did not go away. That God's promises are true. God may be whispering in your ear these two, these two verses that I love. In Matthew 12, he says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Or in Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to a church of people that have moved far away from Jesus. But Jesus is saying, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. So my challenge for you is that don't resist God. If God is calling for you, let him in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We just stand in awe of you that your promises are true. And God, we know that these promises do not depend on, on us, but they depend on your character. And we know that you're not a liar. So God, we just, we just, we just rejoice, God. We, we just rejoice that, that you have chosen us, that you have loved us even before we loved you. And that you started something in our lives and you will carry it through. So God, we, we, stand, we stand in awe of you and, and we stand in hope, in, hope, um, in hope of your mercy. We pray, God, that if, there is, if there's people here this morning that, um, that feel far away from God, they feel like there's a distance and a chasm too big for, for themselves to... Um, we pray, God, that, that you come, God, and that you come to them individually and that you assure them that there is nothing too big for you to climb. There's nothing too big for you to, for you to heal. God, your promises are true.